Welcome to episode 39 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, what kind of backpacker are you? Find out your type. Then, on the Summit Gear Review, a 10 essential basic that may require a little educating to use. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, you'll learn how a simple pinch may save your life. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from a man who would probably spur some fascinating discussions around the campfire. All this, and that's about it. Today, on the first 40 miles. I love thrift shopping. I don't know what it is about going through other people's junk and just seeing what's there. I mean, most of the time, it's nothing I would buy. But every once in a while, you find a gem, you know, a a pair of bongo drums that you've been wanting for years, which I actually found a few months ago. Found a pair of bongo drums, brought those home. They've been a real hit since I since I bought them. And uh, I was at the thrift store recently, and I found an old Gregory pack. It's an internal frame pack, so it's probably not that old. 10 years old, maybe? Yeah, maybe 10 years old. And definitely not the lightest weight pack. It's probably, you know, around five pounds. But I picked it up and checked the price tag and kind of gave it a once over to kind of see what condition it was in and decided that I was going to turn this pack into a little project. I was going to try to revive a dead pack. It was obvious by looking at this pack that whoever had owned it before definitely had gone on a lot of trips. So this pack was well used. Uh, It had never been chewed through by any rodents or anything, uh, so it was in good condition that way. It did have some worn spots on it, which you can live with. And uh, I think it was around $7, 7 to $10, kind of in that range. And I thought, you know, if nothing else, after I clean this up, it can be a pack that can be a spare. Um, You know, my daughter could end up using it for camping or for girls camp or whatever. Or if we have a friend who doesn't have a pack, it can be an extra pack to share. So I went through the process of reviving a dead pack. So I kind of wanted to share with our audience today, our first 40 milers, what I did to revive this pack, just in case we have any listeners who are able to find a used pack and kind of want to give it a a makeover. I don't know, that's not the right word to use on this show, but <laughs> a uh, a new life. How about that? <laughs> yeah, so it didn't have any major structural issues or ripped fabric, so that's nice. You didn't have any major repairs to do, but it was pretty dingy and had definitely seen a lot of, uh, a lot of miles. So the first thing I did was I just, I, I lowered my standards all the way to the floor. I said, you know, this pack only costs around $7. So if the things that I do to it end up destroying the pack, I have to be okay with that. So it was a total experiment. The next thing I did was I got a big bin 
and you can use your bathtub, that works too. But I went outside and I filled a bin that fit the pack completely, uh, about maybe six, six inches uh, full with water. And I poured a little bit of unscented detergent in that bin. And I put the entire pack in the bin. I submerged the entire thing in water and this detergent. And then I did something a little bit unconventional. I got a toilet plunger and went to town plunging this thing and uh, gave it a good, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes worth of plunging. And that one simple trick got rid of probably 90% of the grime in that pack. A lot of people may have missed the little point that you used unscented detergent. You don't want your entire backpack to become a critter magnet out on the trail by having the scent from some uh, uh, soap that you used. So that's real important that you did that. Yeah, and if you can find a sport detergent, those tend to leave less residue and improve the performance of your technical fabrics. Well, the next thing I did was I got out our steam cleaner. And we have this, this steam cleaner that we bought at Harbor Freight, and it just poofs out steam. (laughs) All it is, it just shoots out steam. So, you know, you can use it for cleaning grout and uh, sterilizing around your bathroom fixtures and things like that. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where if you're not careful, it'll take the paint right off your walls. And this is the part I was kind of nervous about because I know packs sometimes have waterproofing or lining inside that can peel off. We've had a pack that's done that before where it's, we got it from my parents, I think, and it was a really old pack. And the inside of the pack had this plasticky lining that was peeling off. So as I started to steam clean it, there were parts on the shoulder strap that got really, really clean, like factory reset button clean. It was amazing because uh, it, it just it uh, takes away all the grime of the body oils and stuff was really effective on that. However, on the inside of the pack, it did affect some of that plasticky, waterproofy type lining stuff. So I didn't feel too bad when it peeled off because, you know, it was all an experiment. But it did get the pack just that next level of clean and really in top shape. So after I steam cleaned all of the kind of grimy parts, I laid the pack out on a chair in the sun. And I wasn't planning on leaving it out for 8 to 12 hours, just, you know, a few hours until it dried. And then I brought it inside so the sun wouldn't damage the material. And as I let it dry, I made sure that all of the uh, the straps and the buckles were loosened and that all the zippers were undone. And I made sure to also move some of the straps and buckles so the straps would dry, you know, completely all the way up and down the strap. So if you end up finding an old pack at a thrift store or at a garage sale, there are a couple things that are harder to fix than others. And one of those is the smoker smell. If you end up finding a pack that has been used by a smoker, then that smell is going to be really hard to get rid of. And when it rains and you're on your backpacking trip, there's a good chance that smoker smell will come back out of the fabric. I can't imagine that being too common of a scenario, though. Yeah, we always joke about how uh, you only see cigarette butts on the first half mile of a trail. (laughs) 
And the other scent that's really hard to get out of a pack, especially if someone has been storing it in a garage, is that cat smell. So just beware of those two smells. Most other smells you can probably get out with some good detergent and a good soaking. So most important thing, if you find a pack in a thrift store, pick it up and shove it into your face. Take a good (laughs) whiff (laughs) and make sure that that. whatever you smell is a smell that you think you can get out. And then also, um, you know, make sure it's in good mechanical condition because the mechanical repairs can be quite a bit more difficult to do than just simply cleaning. And they can also become expensive real quick. I mean, even just replacing a buckle or a strap, you start piecemealing those repairs and it can add up quick. And also the older packs do weigh a few more pounds. So um, just treat it like an experiment. And this is perfect for those first time backpackers. If you just wanna find a backpack so you can get out there on the trail, then you know spending seven to $15 for that first pack that's maybe a little bit heavier than your dream pack, it's probably a good route to go. Yeah, it gets you out on your first trip, so that's great. For today's top five list, we've come up with the top five backpacker types, kind of personality types. Have you done those uh, personality tests? I love those. Yeah, they're great. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the color code and there's the, uh, oh, the Strengths Finder. That was uh, one that we really enjoyed recently. And uh, the Myers-Briggs. Yeah. And they all give you some insights into your personality. A couple episodes ago, we talked about questions that a first-time backpacker should ask before their first trip. And one of the questions was, why am I doing this? And so recognizing the type of backpacker that you are helps you to answer that question of why am I doing this trip? And the why question is important because then you can plan a trip that actually fulfills your goals. You know, it fills you uh, as a backpacker. So that's the thought behind You know, I mean, it'll be kind of fun to just see where we all fit in these five categories, but that's kind of the thought behind it, how it can be useful for you as you're planning trips. The first backpacker type is the mile chomper. Lighter and faster are your bywords. You believe success is measured in one of two ways, miles or kilometers. You tend to travel on the lighter side, often trading in heavy leather boots for almost weightless running shoes. It's not that you don't want to take time for the view, it's that you want to consume as much of it as you can. The beauty of nature is a dish best enjoyed by binging. Nothing is more frustrating than an injury that sets you back, and nothing is more tempting than just powering through that to get to the next vista. Whether it's trail running, or hiking a steady pace from sun up to sun down, your adrenaline rush comes when you're standing on the peak or arriving at camp. You know, the long distance speed hikers, these are the people that come to mind, you know, like Scott Jurek, who just finished the Appalachian Trail with a a record uh, time. They're certainly the mile chompers, no doubt about it. Um, But there's probably uh, another category of mile chompers who are not quite that competitive, but just enjoy really putting the miles under their feet. And I got to say, I am occasionally in this category, usually when I'm day hiking, because I can shed a lot of the weight. And especially if I'm on my own, I mean, I can just cruise. It's not about not stopping for the view. It's about seeing more view in a short amount of time. Well, the number two backpacker type is the tree gawker. 
You come for the beauty. You come for the rivers. You come to see an open sky and get recharged, camera or art supplies in hand. You often pull back from the group to get a shot without people blocking it. You'll even use the precious phone battery to set your alarm so you can capture those ethereal, misty images at dawn. You may have earned the trail name Disney Princess because you have an uncanny way of attracting wildlife and getting their National Geo moments on paper. You envy the likes of Thoreau and wish you could leave it all and immerse yourself in nature's world with pen and paper in hand. Your dream trip may include an extra day with side trips off the trail and meadow wanderings that follow the path of an animal. I'm pretty sure my brother is in this category. He's a botanist, and so when he goes out on trips, I mean, he's actually out there for work、uh, most of the time, and he's trying to find plants that maybe no one has found that plant in that area. So he's trying to determine the range, you know, or a new range for a plant,、uh, trying to get photos,、uh, things like that. So yeah, definitely looking into every little detail of everything around him. Oh yeah, and definitely one of his art supplies or you know tools that he brings along is、um, a couple pieces of cardboard with some like a band around it, so he can press those little samples and preserve them for later. Right, so he takes those back to the herbarium for archival. And I gotta say, I fit into this category sometimes for sure. There's times that I'll linger, I'll hold back,、uh, let everyone hike ahead a little bit so that I can get the perfect shot. You know,、uh, with the camera, or、uh, yeah, just take time to look around and enjoy being there. I would say I might fit into this one a little bit too. I am kind of a creative type, so I enjoy having pen and paper in hand and kind of writing notes, writing thoughts that come to me, and just kind of having it be a creative moment. And I think you fit really well into our next <laughs> category as well. Yes, this is actually my favorite category right here. Number three is the outdoor innovator. You love stretching your creativity with minimalist gear. You may be able to answer the question: How many ways can you use a trekking pole? You enjoy getting creative and planning improvements for the next trip, even while you're on your current trip. People may shake their head and wonder why you have bark strapped to your feet in camp, but you smile anyway. Not every trip goes as planned, but that's okay because some of it wasn't planned at all. Some may consider you to be a little unconventional or perhaps unprepared, but you see it as a chance to stretch your creativity muscle. Your dream trip may include foraging, lashing, daydreaming, bushwhacking, or mooching. That definitely fits me. I don't know about the mooching part. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I'll definitely accept any food that's offered to me, but、uh, yeah, I do relate with all of those. Yeah, I'm usually not in this category, but every once in a while I am. I, I think back to when I was in my early 20s, and I had you know nothing better to do, so I volunteered to、uh, be an adult leader at scout camp for a week. And so went along with the troop. Had lots of time to kill, of course, while the boys are all out doing their merit badges. And、uh, had a, a friend there with me,、uh, my same age. And、uh, we did some really fun projects around camp. We made a gate that was kind of an entry gate into the camp that I thought was really cool. 
we also made a bowling alley. And I didn't have like an automated machine and all of that, you know, to pick up all your bowling pins. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we got the basics. We got bowling pins made out of wood and we found a really round rock that we could throw <laughs> down the alley. And, you know, it was fun. The number four backpacker type is the solitude seeker. You plan trips away from the crowds. The backcountry is where you'd rather be, off the trail, scrambling, backpacking alone, or with another solitude seeker. You see things that no one else sees because you are stealth, aware, and prepared. To other trekkers, you may seem somewhat mysterious and aloof, but you're always willing to share grub or point out a view to another traveler you pass along the way. Your skills are honed and sharp so that your risk in traveling alone is minimized. Because of your desire for long periods of solitude, you typically set up communication plans with your close family and check in at pre-designated intervals. Your trips and gear choices tend to be meticulously planned as another way to mitigate risk and enjoy the freedom that comes from solitude. This Bigfoot fall into this category? I think he does. <laughs> He's got to have some mad skills, though, to be able to survive that long without any kind of, uh, you know, trips to 7-Eleven or anything. I mean. Yeah, and I don't know if he checks in with family. Maybe he does <laughs> because his entire family are solitude seekers. That's right. Well, if you're a solitude seeker, there's no doubt that backpacking is one of the few ways left in this world to actually get solitude. And the number five backpacker type is the gear junkie. Speed may or may not be a priority, but having all the trimmings for when you finally arrive is a must. Meals are never an afterthought. They are always generous servings that usually get passed to your fellow travelers around the campfire. You've got a tough skin, made tougher by the heavy pack and the good-natured teasing you endure from your buddies when you pull out your luxury items. You're always curious to see what other hikers are packing and are eager to pull out your own for a friendly gear smackdown around the campfire. You may have earned the trail name Santa Claus for the never-ending assortment of items that can be pulled from your pack and the numerous things that dangle or jingle on the outside. This is probably the category that I identify with the least, but on our Mount Hood trip last fall, we definitely had a couple guys that were in this category. A few weeks before the trip, one of the guys that was going kind of pulled me aside one morning, and he stealthily reached into his satchel that he had and pulled out this tiny contraption. And it was an electric fan kind of thing, to blow up his air mattress. It was super lightweight, super small, and he was really excited to surprise everyone by pulling this out on the trail. So I was sworn to secrecy. <laughs> I couldn't tell anyone about it before the trip. He was also the one that brought that chair that was like the ultralight chair. Yeah, and people took turns carrying it and <laughs> sitting in it. <laughs> Definitely the talk of the camp. <laughs> So these are the five backpacker types that we've come up with. I'll run through them again real quick. There's the mile chomper, the tree gawker, the outdoor innovator, the solitude seeker, and the gear junkie. 
So think about it. Think which category you fall into or maybe two or three categories that you identify with. Or maybe you're in a category all your own or a category that we didn't think of. We'd love to hear about it. So uh, look us up on Facebook or Twitter and uh, give us a shout out and say, hey, here's a backpacker type. You know, here's the type that I am. What do you think? It'd just be fun to hear from everyone and, and see who else is out there. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Silva Starter 123 Compass. It sounds like something that Dora the Explorer would use, a Starter 123 Compass, yay! (laughs) But um, this is actually a legitimate compass, and um, it's something that we researched a little bit back in December when we were doing Christmas shopping for our seven-year-old. He really showed some interest in wanting to know how maps worked and how to find out where you were and how to get to the next place. And so we found this compass and decided it would be the perfect starter compass for him. Now, I'm not 100% or even 75% familiar with how to do orienteering. It's not one of my strengths and it's not a skill that I've developed yet. And so some of the stuff I'm going to talk about, I have no idea what it means. This compass has two degree dial graduation. Did you have anything you wanted to contribute to that, Josh? Uh, Sure. Okay. Thank you. So uh, a compass, of course, has a round dial on it and that's 360 degrees. So there's a mark every two degrees on this dial. It has a clear base plate for map reading and route planning. And the little free compasses you get, you know, when you're doing the fishing pond or whatever at the school carnival, um, those are nothing like this compass. This is a compass that you can actually lay on a map and it's totally clear. So you can see the map underneath. That's the clear base plate. So it's great for route planning. This compass has inch and millimeter scales on it, which is important. I know this answer because at the bottom of a map, it'll have a little inches to miles section, like a little line. It's all with lines inside. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, the scale. Yes, the scale, the thing you learned about in second grade. It's so great. So it'll show you exactly how many inches per mile. It also has a lanyard hole on the base plate, so you can just tie some cord through there and either wear it around your neck or clip it to the outside of your pack. With GPS technology, are compasses even relevant anymore? Yeah, I still carry a compass on every trip. I have a compass app on my cell phone, and when I pull it out, you know, sometimes it's right, and a lot of the times it's wrong. It might be off by 15 or 20 degrees. Maybe not a big deal if you just want a general sense of which way is north, but uh, I would never rely on my cell phone compass if I was lost and trying to find my way to a particular point. It just wouldn't be nearly accurate enough. I don't know if that's just my phone or if I have, uh, you know, left it next to something magnetic at one point or what. I've tried to calibrate it. There's a little figure eight motion that you can do with your phone and it's supposed to calibrate it and it really hasn't helped. If you still want a super reliable way to know which way is north, then a simple magnetic compass still does the best job at that. Yeah, and the great thing is it will never run out of batteries. Right. 
Well, the Silva Starter 123 Compass is two inches by three inches and it weighs just barely under an ounce. It's 0.9 ounces. For maintenance, you will want to make sure to keep your compass away from anything magnetic or anything with iron content. That means if you're backpacking with a cast iron skillet, <laughs> you are in big trouble. You've in got problems. In so many ways. <laughs> So I guess it can cause the red end of the needle to align with south. And this is a medical condition called reverse polarity. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's serious. So it just totally throws your compass all out of whack. It's fixable. It's curable. But it's also preventable. So keep your compass away from anything magnetic or that contains iron. And it's not just a cast iron skillet that can cause this or magnets. Microwaves can do it, so don't put this in the microwave. <laughs> or anywhere near the microwave. <laughs> High-tension wires, uh, stereo speakers, which I guess have really big magnets in them, so that makes sense, can also cause the problem of reverse polarity. Yeah, so, okay, I guess most of these items will not be items in your pack on a backpacking <laughs> trip. Um, I, I guess I would be aware of the cell phone, you know, with the battery and all the metal components in it and other electronic devices. I'd probably try to keep it away from those things. For investment, you're going to pay around $14 for this compass. My bottom line on this compass is that the Silva Starter Compass is the least expensive, legitimate compass that you can get. So we mentioned that uh, we were looking for compasses Christmas time last year for our youngest. And there's lots of cute options out there. You know, all these compasses that either like they look really retro and antique or they look really cute and, you know, kind of made for kids, all kinds of neat designs. Oh, the keychain ones, they just fit right on your jacket. Yeah. And the problem is they don't work. They get stuck. So like if you rotate the compass, you'll see that the needle or whatever plate it uses instead of a needle tends to stick on the compass and rotate with it. Even if it doesn't get stuck, it seems to just not really be magnetic enough or something. I don't know where uh, you you turn the compass and the needle just kind of turns partially with it. You have no idea which way is north. And so I wanted to get our son a compass that he could enjoy working with. And I really believed that cute wasn't going to be enough to make that compass fulfilling for him. You know, the fact that it looked cool was not what was going to make it a good experience for him. Really, a compass that works, that works well, is what I wanted to find for him. And so uh, I looked through a bunch of compasses and really settled on this one because it had all of the basic necessary compass features. It's the standard rectangular shape with the standard round dial on it. It's clear so you can see through it, see onto the map. It's got the scales on the side. It's got the uh, the degree markings on it, everything that you would expect in a real compass, and it works. You turn this compass any direction and the needle will always point to magnetic north. For someone who's new to compasses, you might think that it points north, of course, and that if you were to start walking the way that your compass points, you would eventually end up at the North Pole. But the fact of the matter is that you wouldn't you would end up at the magnetic North Pole, which is slightly different than true North. So what you got to do when you're using a compass is 
you need to look up the declination for the area where you are. When I'm using a compass, if I want to find true north, I actually need to dial my compass. So I dial my compass 18 degrees to the east and line up the needle at that point. And then the, the body or the base of my compass is actually pointing to, um, what is it, 342 degrees? That's true north for me here in Oregon. If you're in the Midwest part of the U.S., you're pretty much a zero declination, so you've got it easy. And then, of course, if you're on the East Coast, you're a little bit of a declination in the other direction. The magnetic declination map is fascinating. We'll put a link to one in the show notes for this uh, episode. So just go to the first40miles.com slash 039 to get this episode. What's fascinating about it is that uh, it's not just two lines on opposite sides of the world with some declinations off to either side. It's a really weird kind of, I mean, it reminds me of a fingerprint on the earth. So if you're in Western Europe, you're pretty much zero declination. Same thing if you're in like the Sahara in Africa. And then far West Australia. And if you're off the coast of Japan, those are all zero declination points. And then if you're in other places, you could be up to, you know, 20 or 30 degrees off of true north. Well, if you are totally new to using a compass, there are a couple places you can go for just kind of general basic information. And we'll put the links in the show notes. But one of the places is the Silva Compass website, and they have just a general compass usage PDF. And then another resource, which is really great, is the Orienteering Merit Badge pamphlet put out by the Boy Scouts of America. That should provide you just the perfect primer for orienteering. And you can probably find that at your local library. For today's backpack hack of the week, we have an easy dehydration test. And this is not the good kind of dehydration, like food dehydration. This is the bad kind of dehydration, people dehydration. Mm -hmm. Dehydration means that more water is moving out of your cells than what you can take in through drinking. So to do this easy dehydration test on yourself or someone else, first you want to take your finger and thumb and pinch a roll of skin on the back of your hand. And that's the part of your hand where you can see all the veins, not the palm of your hand, the other side. Then pull the skin up about half to one centimeter high and then let the skin go. Now your skin should spring back to its normal spot in less than a couple of seconds. But if your skin returns back slowly, then you may be dehydrated. The Institute of Medicine recommends that women should get about 2.7 liters of water per day. That's about 12 cups and that men should get about 3.7 liters, or about 15 cups a day. And that's just for a normal day, with normal sit-in-your-chair-at-your-desk activity. The number definitely increases with factors like heat, wind, uh, your hiking altitude, and your increased activity level. And children especially are at higher risk for dehydration. Since the water bottles that we bring backpacking are usually one liter or one quart bottles, uh, that helps so you can really keep track of your water usage throughout the day. So if I carry on a longer trip, I usually have two one liter bottles in my backpack. And so that tells me 
that on a normal day, I should be going through both of those twice in terms of the amount of water that I drink. But the fact that I'm out backpacking means I should probably be going through more than four bottles of water uh, because I'm putting forth extra exertion. I might be at a high elevation and I might be exposed to more wind and sun. So that's quite a bit of water. And it's uh, tempting to try to go light on water because it really is one of the heaviest things you carry. But that's a risk there to try to go too light on how much water you bring. I think it's almost like if I were to drain half of the oil out of the engine in my car, thinking that it would save a little bit of weight so I could get some better gas mileage. It's, it's really a self-defeating thing. It's much better to carry some extra weight in water and actually be hydrated enough so that your body performs at a peak level. One of the paradoxes of dehydration is that you can experience dehydration when you're surrounded by water. So don't think that because it's raining or because you're out hiking in the snow that you can't experience dehydration. You definitely can, and um, you should still be aware of your, your hydration level when you're out in those conditions. So maybe a couple times throughout the day, it's a good idea to try this uh, quick skin test. Uh, just pinch the skin on the back of your hand and see how quickly it rebounds back to normal. And if you believe that you are dehydrated, remember to drink slowly and frequently to avoid the unpleasant experience of vomiting. Which leads to dehydration. dehydration. Yeah. <laughs> That's not funny. Why did I laugh? <laughs> Let's move on to trail wisdom. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> we'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from Soren Kierkegaard. He was believed to be the first existentialist philosopher. And I have no idea what that means. What were you doing on Wikipedia a minute ago? I thought you were reading about what, what that was. I was reading about him. Okay. <laughs> All right. So where did he grow up? What was his childhood like? Denmark. We have some homework to do. <laughs> <laughs> he said, above all, do not lose your desire to walk. Every day I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from every illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts, and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. Today on the first 40 mile. I said 40. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a word. 40. Okay, redo. Beep. Boom. Nothing more to say. <laughs>